Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I am your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week, we have thought leaders, change instigators, and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive, and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning connection and resilience into your life and your business. As a way to thank our guests for their time, energy and wisdom, we would love to demonstrate our appreciation, gratitude and admiration. We would love to hear from you. What was your key takeout from today's session? By writing a review in Apple Podcasts with our guest's name and insight. And when you do, please make sure to take a photo and send your photo to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will send you a personalized cosmic blueprint for free. It's a report based on your unique birth chart to discover your true calling and how you can best make a difference in the world. Thank you. This week, as always, we have a super, super, super amazing guest for you. We have the beautiful Valerie Condos Field, affectionately known by her gymnasts as Miss Val. Her reputation is only one reason that 46 former US national team members came through her program and why half of the last two Olympic teams committed to UCLA. Valerie's coaching success can be attributed to her extraordinary leadership and mentorship of young student athletes and the way in which she used gymnastics as an avenue through which to teach valuable lessons while encouraging individuality and joy. As a recent breast cancer survivor, Valerie's positive outlook and hope-filled message is impactful. She empowered her athletes to use their voices to celebrate themselves and to enjoy the elite sport that has damaged so many in the past. She also shares her motivating and inspirational messages with the world with her book, Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance, Advice and Inspiration from the UCLA Athletic Hall of Fame coach of seven NCAA championships teams. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, this morning or this evening, depends on what side of the world you are at, we have the lovely Valerie Condos Field, known as Miss Val. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. It is very exciting. I'm super excited to have you on the show. And the way that we start the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So Val, tell us, what inspired you to do what you do today? Oh, that's, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I have been coaching gymnastics at UCLA for 37 years. 
I was the head coach for 29 years and I'm recently retired. Or as my friends like to say, you're not retired, you are rewired. So, um, but the fun part about my story is that I've never done gymnastics. I was a ballet dancer, professional ballet dancer, and I got to UCLA by asking the gymnastics coach at the time, 1982, if they needed a dance coach for their gymnastics team. And he said, yes. And they gave me a full scholarship to go to school, which I was just so enthralled with. And then when I graduated, they asked me to be the head coach. And while I said I laughed immediately and reminded them I didn't know the first thing about gymnastics, the woman that hired me said, you didn't laugh immediately. You were catatonic for about a full minute. Then you laughed and said that uh, I don't know the first thing about gymnastics. And she basically just said to me that she had observed how I worked with the student athletes. I was firm, but I was compassionate with them. And she said, I trust you'll figure the rest out. And so I spent my career, that was 1989, um, the first few years trying to figure it out. And I was pathetically poor at being a, a leader and a coach. And I finally did figure out how to lead. And from then started having success and had a tremendous career um, for 29 years as the head coach of UCLA Gymnastics. So what was the pivot point for you? Dance to gymnastics. I'm curious. How did you um, uh, find your way? Well, it's that's a great, great question because when I was given the job, asked to do the job, I knew nothing. I don't think about gymnastics and I did not, more importantly, I did not know anything about what a healthy athletic culture should look and feel like. And so I did the only thing that I knew was prudent to do. And I mimicked other head coaches who had won. Not, I'm not saying who had been successful, but who had won. Because I've learned since then that winning, as my TED Talk asks, begs the question, winning is not always success. And I mimicked coaches who had won. And at that time, this was 1989, um, the majority of coaches were authoritative, dictatorial, my way or the highway, uh, no gray area, and bullish. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to act like a coach. And thankfully, I was horrible. And we had a ton of talent, but we did not do well. And I say thankfully because it forced me to find another way. And I was honestly, I was on my way to my athletic director's office to resign, to tell her, I told you I didn't know how to do this. And on my way to her office, I was going through our bookstore on, on the campus of UCLA. And I came across the great John Wooden's book on leadership. And it magically opened to his definition of success. And I read success is peace of mind in knowing that you've done your best, period. And I was dumbfounded because it was like he, he was hailed as the greatest coach that ever lived. He won 10 championships in 12 years. Coaches are hired to win. Why doesn't he mention winning? And I read it over and over and over again until I had honestly the biggest aha moment of my career. And that was success is peace of mind in knowing that you have done your best by mimicking other coaches. I had been trying to be them. And 
in that instant, I realized that whenever you try to be somebody else, you'll always be a second rate them. And the worst part about it, it prevents you from becoming a first rate you. So I did not resign. And I went back to my office and I thought, I'm going to figure this out. So the first thing I had to figure out was my why. Why did I love being around athletes? And why did I think that I was going to be successful as a coach? What was my why? And connecting the dots, I didn't grow up with this win at all cost culture. I grew up on stage. It wasn't about winning. It was about preparing yourself to be able to be your best on stage. Success, as Coach Witten said, is becoming the best that you can become. That's what I knew. I, I knew how to prepare our student athletes mentally, emotionally, and physically to be the best versions of themselves they could be. And I just got so excited. I'm like, I'm going to develop champions in life, not just champions on the competition floor, but champions in life through the sport of gymnastics. That is what makes sports so meaningful. And I knew if I did that well enough, it would transfer to the competition floor and we would, would start quote unquote winning. And we did. And over the next few decades, I just honed my craft of developing champions in life who are going to go out and make the world a better place through sport. I love the way that you've described that. I've had a couple of um, little aha moments because I actually do a lot of corporate work. And it's really interesting. You'll see a lot of high-performing leaders actually model other leaders that are are very successful, which what you're saying is that when you model, you're actually not being your authentic self. You're being a second version of that other person. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's such an important message, especially these days with social media and comparison as, you know, we've heard from Winston Churchill, comparison is a thief of joy. And um, when it was just so uh, freeing for me to not try to be someone else. And it, I really understood that even though I could mimic their behavior and their words, it wasn't coming from the right intention. I didn't have, I didn't know intrinsically understand or know their intentions. I knew my intentions. And so once I figured out my why, what I was, why I was excited to be an athletic coach to develop literally develop superheroes through sport, then I had to figure out my how. How was I going to go about doing that? And that was the interesting part per the question that you just asked. Um, I was a dancer. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't, I didn't grow up on a, on a, an athletic field. I was a dancer and I had to approach my job as the head coach of the UCLA gymnastics team authentic to who I was. And so I taught them, I taught the athletes a lot about what I knew about um, preparing to be your best on stage, what it meant to be on stage. I often brought um, euphemisms and metaphors to to my training with the student athletes that I learned in the theater. And you know, I, one of them that comes to mind is we would be on the competition floor and and the athletes would be like lifting their leotard up really high so that they could pull their, their, their trunks down, their, their panties down. And 
exposing themselves. And I, I was like, listen, just because you're not on the equipment competing doesn't mean that there are not eyes looking at you. And one of the things we learned in the theater is if you can see the audience, the audience can see you. So if you're standing in the wings waiting to go on stage and you're peeking around looking at the audience, if you can see them, they can see you and someone is always looking at you. And so there were little things that I taught our student athletes that I brought to the table. Um, and I would have to say that the, that from a gymnastics standpoint, the biggest thing that I brought to UCLA gymnastics was an understanding of movement quality and how to bring movement to life, how to bring their choreography to life. I think that's like the biggest thing UCLA is probably known for. UCLA gymnastics is known for. Mm, I love that. And I love the fact you keep going back to your why. It, you would be surprised on how many people I speak to. And when I ask them, what is the purpose um, or what is your why in what you do today? And they cannot articulate it in a sentence as to why they are doing what they're doing. And, and it's really important because that is what drives inspiration. It's an internal driver. Which absolutely. Is, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, which is actually, as I would say, like when you've got, when you're inspired within, it, the it's more sustainable. Where where you are seeking external, which we do, like you were talking about comparison, um, that's an external drive, which is motivation, which is very short-lived, yet we all do it. What do you think holds us back from being our authentic self? Because I love the, the way that you keep leaning into being our, your authentic self. What do you think holds us back? Fear of other people's opinions. We, we live in a, I feel like we live in a glass environment now where everybody, if you're on social media, I've since gone off of social, social media, but, um, everything that we do is out there. It's, it's, our personal lives are out there. Our professional lives are out there. And with social media, everybody has an opinion. And quite often <laughs> the majority of those opinions aren't correct. And, I know for myself that, um, God, as you're think, as you're asking that question, I have such a vivid memory of being on the competition floor and once again, posturing and being really serious. And I remember thinking to myself, I have to put on this really serious affect so that my administration and UCLA and all the gymnastics fans know that I take my job very seriously. And I think part of that was because there were so many naysayers when I was given the job that, you know, how is this ballerina going to lead this gymnastics program that I had to, again, and posture that this was all very serious. And <laughs> as thankfully as I had more success at all of that, um, I just realized how silly that was, that I literally was walking around the floor with this, very stern look on my face and posture because I wanted everybody looking at me to think that I was taking it, to know that I was taking it seriously. And interestingly enough, uh, about seven years ago, I got breast cancer and I worked through the whole season of chemotherapy and all that. And I'm sure that everybody who is listening right now either has experienced something like that or knows someone that has, and it can't help but change you. And one of the ways that I changed is that I realized going through getting diagnosed with breast cancer that, you know what, 
we all have an expiration date. We just don't know when ours is. And I'm not going to waste one day pretending to be something that I'm not. And so from that moment on, when I was on the competition floor, I allowed myself to be myself. And for me, that is fun. That is dancing. That is hugging my student athletes. That's just having a ball on the competition floor. It was like a party. And that first year, um, some of my seniors came up to me and they said, Miss Val, because you were so free and you were enjoying every part of the competition, you gave us permission to do the same thing. And I had these two international elite athletes come tell me it was the most fun time they'd ever had in competition because they were bringing themselves fully to the competition and not having to worry about what other people were thinking or saying about them. Mm, I just got goosebumps and it, um, I did go through your social media and I did, I, as, as you were speaking, you're about hugging people. I actually saw quite a few of those photos and it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's very, uh, it warms the heart. That's for sure. It's beautiful. And I think you're right. You know, when we are uh, being our authentic self, or whether we've been vulnerable or whatever that may be, we are giving others permission to do the same. Oh, absolutely. Marianne Williamson, her poem, um, Our Greatest Fear, is not whatever that poem is that I've made our student-athletes memorize. Um, but when we prevent ourselves, when we don't prevent ourselves from shining our full light, excuse me, let me put that in positive. When we bring our full light, we give other permission, other people permission to do the same. And that's what I was doing with our team. And that's what they articulated to me, that by me bringing my joy and enthusiasm in life to competition, like this is a national championship competition. And I'm on the floor dancing and hugging and just having a ball. Um, it, it allowed them to bring their full selves and their full light. In fact, um, 2017, I believe we finished third or fourth at the national championships and a head coach from another gym, uh, another university came up to me and he said, you know, I just want to tell you something I've observed. I think you would do a lot better if you weren't having so much fun on the competition floor. And I said, hmm. I said, okay, well, thank you for that observation. Who do you think on our team has the most fun? I said, would you agree it's Peng Peng Lee? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, okay, she just got a 10 on balance beam. Who else brings the most fun? Would you agree it's Caitlin Ohashi? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, she just PR'd. She just had a personal record on floor. So I said, thank you very much for your observation. You do you and I'll do me and we'll be fine. And the next year we won, we had more fun and we won the national championship. And he came up to me after that and he stuck his hand out to shake my hand. And he goes, okay, I'm a jackass. You know what you're doing. You keep doing you. Congratulations. I said, thank you very much. I love that story. And you know, there's so much research now that shows that when we have more fun and play in whatever we do, so when we bring it, it, you know, expands our creativity, um, you know, productivity goes up. I mean, there's so many benefits when we bring fun and play into whatever we are doing. So I love that. 
Yeah. And I think that the big misnomer in all of that, whether it's in business or in sport or anything, is that if you're enjoying yourself, you're not being as focused as you should be. And that's simply not the truth. And thankfully, research has shown that that's not the truth. And research has proven exactly what you just said, Catherine, that um, that that literally when you continue to infuse joy in the process of learning or doing anything, you're actually going to have a better result because you are bringing your full self and you're not stifling yourself. Mm, it's true. And it, it opens up your uh, your neurons as well. It, it helps you learn uh, at, a, at a greater capacity when you have a lot more fun, play and joy. Yeah. Miss Fell, you talked about the bringing more light into whatever we're doing. What gets in the way of light? So when you were talking through that, I was thinking, I wonder what gets in the way of my light. And I think that maybe the thing that came up for me was like doubt and second guessing myself. What, would that be some of but, the things that get in the way of our light? But why do you doubt and, sec- and second get your, guess yourself? Oh, I know. I know it's something. I think it all comes down to self-worth. You know, I have this, I think I'm, I'm better at it. That's for sure. But it's more so that um, it's, a, it's a worthy thing for me. But does that, would you feel the same way if it was just you? Or is that self, is that worth coming from other people's opinions of you? Because I feel like, you know, when we go back to our childhood and we're just out there playing and we don't have a fear of failure. Um, and that fear of failure, I feel that it, it comes ex- from external forces, which then we internalize. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. And I would be fascinated to know if children that are in a, raised in an incredibly positive environment where there is no judgment, do they develop fear of failures like that? Because mm-hmm. interest, okay, we're having this conversation that reminded me of something else. I don't believe in the concept of failure. I, because I believe that when you make a mistake, you're going to learn something from it, whether what not to do or what to do differently. And when you learn something, there is growth. How can, and if you're, having any type of growth, regardless of how minimal it is, how can that be failure? It can't be failure. And someone asked me, you know, where did I start thinking like that? And I know it came from my, my mom in particular, my mom, I don't remember ever her getting upset or making me feel stupid for, I remember it was Thanksgiving one time and beautiful Thanksgiving table and the whole family's there and there's all this food And my mom was telling a story and I went to get something and I literally spilled my very full glass of milk all over the table, all over the food that was next to me. And my mother did not miss a beat. She just kept telling, telling her story. And she just kind of in the middle of her story said, Hey, can, can you help? Can we get some napkins over there so we can help clean this up? But she kept telling her story and it was literally a metaphor for don't cry over spilled milk. (laughs) I love that. And stories stick. Miss Fell, I just want to say thank you for asking a thought-provoking question because I did. I was listening to what you were saying and what dropped in just now when you said what's getting – so what's creating this doubt and second-guessing? I think for me it's perfectionistic. It's the perfectionists within me 
um, it's not good enough. It's got to be right. It's got to be perfect. I think that as you ask that question, that's what dropped in. I think that's what gets in my way. But is that external or internal? I know yeah. that it's internal now, but where did it, where was mm. the genesis of that? No, and I agree with you because I do believe in our development phase is that we do, whether it's parenting, programming or whatever that may be, whether we, we pick up things from siblings, TV, the things we, we, we read, um, absolutely, I think it's probably been imposed and I love the fact that you're talking through fail, uh, fear of failure because I'm also in the same belief that I don't believe in failure. I believe there is no such thing as failure. It's feedback. Mm-mm. And so exactly. when, when I fail, I look at, okay, what, what, have I, what have I learned from this and what am I going to do differently next time? Uh, right. So I do, lo- I, I do love what you're talking about. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. It's, not, it's something that's probably been imposed on us at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And what I love what you just said, I literally just took that note, failure or feedback. The thing that I noticed coaching these high level athletes was the ones that, that were able to be consistently excellent, whether it was in the gym or in competition, they did not assign a personal blame when they made a mistake. So if they fell on beam, they simply looked at it, as you said, as feedback they did not spend time on shame. I, I've screwed up. I've screwed up for my team. I'm not good enough. They shouldn't have put me in. They don't spend any time on that, on shame. It's simply feedback. And it's interesting when I, like, when I, I loved, I felt like I was in a masterclass, a site masterclass my entire coaching career, because I would just, I'd look at these athletes and what separates the good from the great. And that was one thing that I noticed. They didn't, in in sport, we call it um, shortening the the distance between failure and recovery. Um, And the athletes that quote unquote failed or had a fall or mistake, that that distance between that mistake and their recovery was very, very short versus athletes that were not as good. They were not as consistent in the competition. There was a, it took them a long time to recover and move on. I love that. I'm writing that down. Um, I'm curious. What? What? So that's one. I'm just thinking I'll have the shortening the distance between the mistake and the recovery. What other lessons have you learned in your career? Um, so many. I literally could write an encyclopedia on them. But the biggest lesson that I learned was that we are all human and to when you take the human component out of anything out of a goal um out of teaching then all you're doing is is producing compliant good loyal soldiers and it has nothing to do with my why developing champions in life through sport and so I got this vision very clearly of I'm going to help fortify the entire person that is the athlete. And so that talent of theirs that makes them such a great athlete is just a part of who they are. It's not, it's what they do. It's not who they are. And I was more interested in developing who they are versus just what they do. Um, 
that was, I think, the biggest thing. And that's what especially the elite athletes, the Olympians that came in to me and they, they said, you know, they would say it's the first time I felt like I'm not just a commodity to help the coach win or to help the USA win, that I felt like I was a whole person here. And a big part of that came from my personal life because I grew up in the dance in ballet, but I was very active in my extracurricular activities. I went to dances, I went to football games, I went to basketball games. I did all those things. And my ballet teacher, instructor, and my director were often upset with me for doing that. But when I got older, um, one of them, my director, who was really, 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 he'd get so upset with me when I'd say I'm not coming to class tonight because I'm going to a football game. He said, as much as I hate to admit it, you brought the choreography to life on stage because you brought all of your experiences, your life experiences to the stage and to the choreography. And that is what I felt when I was coaching our student athletes. I wanted, I want to coach the whole person, not just the athlete part of them. Mm, I love that. And I think that also ties in with something that I always connect with the be, do, have model. Quite often we look external of what do I want to have and what do I need to do rather than being, and that's what you were saying about being the whole person and who Mm -hmm. they are. There's so much more depth than uh, Mm -hmm. doing it the other way around. Mm -hmm. Because if it's, if it's the other way around, then your only goal is the end goal whether it's a national championship or whether it's how much money you're going to bring in for your company, you know, and that's, that is so, um, that's, that's not, that doesn't enrich your life at all. And, and I would never base our success on our season on the national championship on one day, because I mean, we've seen it in sport all over the world. You know, sometimes you just have a bad day. And I, I always hated when our student athletes felt like the whole season was a miss because we didn't win the national championship. Even, even the years that we lost the championship by a quarter of a tenth, which is like a head bob, even those years, you just feel like, oh my gosh, this whole season was just a waste. And that just ate at me. Because it's like, then it's about the end result and not about the process of how, how rich the world of athletics is in learning really, really, really tough life lessons that you don't learn in the classroom. Mm, I had That's a, the importance of athletics. Mm, I love that. And I think that the way that you just described that, I got a vision. It's like, have the end in mind and just think about what is it that I need to be to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm, exactly that. exactly so miss val let's get into your book life is short don't want to dance don't wait to dance oh don't wait to dance i'm so sorry i've written that mm-hmm. wrong i wrote that <laughs> bad handwriting so life is short don't wait to dance let's talk about mm-hmm. that uh well i when i was diagnosed with breast cancer um i was very very fortunate my doctor oncologist told me that uh, if I agreed to get chemotherapy for a year and surgery, that they knew it was going to work. And so I knew, first of all, I was so excited about that news that I, I switched that word have to, to get to, 
in my brain. I didn't have to get chemotherapy. I got to get chemotherapy because I actually lived at a time that had the chemo because she told me if I'd gotten diagnosed 10 years earlier, they had nothing for me. But because I was diagnosed the year that I was, they knew it was going to work. I was so excited to get chemotherapy. I called it going to my chemo spa. (laughs) And so I switched that one word have to to get to in every other aspect of my life, which has changed my life since that moment. Um, But as I was sitting in my chemo spa, I took that time to work on my bucket list because even though I knew I wasn't going to die from this particular form of breast cancer, as I mentioned earlier, we all have an expiration date. I, we just don't know when ours is. So why was I waiting to retire to start on my bucket list? And one of the things on my bucket list was to write a book on how a dancer, ballerina, choreographer became one of the most prolific athletic coaches in the country. And um, my girlfriends all wanted to come sit with me in chemotherapy. And I was like, no, this is my time. This is my like spa time that I'm going to work on this book. And um, I did have a co-author. And halfway through the book, I told him, I said, I cannot write this book. And he goes, why? I said, because everybody's going to expect all this wisdom from the seven-time national coach, uh, gymnastics coach. And I do things so unorthodoxly in coaching. They're going to say, I'm going to, I'm a total whack job. And he goes, he looked at me so seriously. He goes, Miss Val, you are a whack job. That's why you have to write the book because you give all of us permission to own our inner whack jobs. And I was like, great. Okay, let's write the book. So we wrote the book and it's called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. And Obviously, dance is a metaphor for anything that makes your heart sing. And um, I have to tell you, the the title of the book is also an homage to John Wooden, the great coach John Wooden. Uh, I, I was very, very close with him. He was my mentor. He died at 99 years old. And towards the end of his career, every time I was with him, someone asked him, Coach, you've led an impeccable life. Do you have any regrets? And he is he would always get teary eyed and he would always say, my wife loved to dance and I've always been shy and I was never a good dancer. So I never danced with my wife. And he said, I realize now had I danced with my wife, people wouldn't have been making fun of me. They would have seen a couple deeply in love dancing. So if I had it to do all over again, I would dance with my wife. So that's the homage to coach Wooden. Oh, my God, that's just giving me goosebumps over goosebumps, Miss Val. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love that, the chemo uh, uh, spa. That's, that's Chemo I'm, spa. Chemo spa. I've never heard of that. But mm-hmm. it is. It's a shift in mindset, right? It's, it's what you're stepping into uh, will um, alter your experience depending on the meaning you give it. Absolutely. And that's what my doctor said. You know, they when they... I had a double mastectomy and when they went in and they saw there was no more cancer and they said, they said, we wish that we could fully quantify the power of the mind and the power of gratitude. And there are, there is studies out there now that, that shows the the change in the brain when we focus on gratitude. But they just said from the get go, I had such a positive, I literally was excited to go get chemo because even though it made me feel horrible, I was getting better. Like, oh my God, I live at a time that actually has this. Okay, 
this is great. And I'm going to go get, I'm going to go to my chemo spot and get better. Um, and it, it did, it, it worked. <laughs> it not only worked, it, it allowed me to experience that year from a place of gratitude and not a place of being pissed off or why me or life sucks. It was from a place of gratitude. Mm, I love that. And I do that. I, I do a daily practice of gratitude and I think it does make a massive difference on the end of my day. That's for sure. So Absolutely. Miss Val, I'd love to uh, talk about your TED Talk, Why Winning Doesn't Always Equal Success. I watched it and I loved the fact that you were talking and it really resonated with me because I do a lot of corporate stuff, winning at all costs. And I was thinking about culture when we see leaders are very much in that you, we need to win at all costs. How they are then perceived is that they're running their own race and thus are not able to influence an outcome. I would love to hear more about your TED Talk. Yeah, that's interesting what you just said, running your own race with that. Um, um, I just really started thinking about winning at all costs. Sadly, when the United States gymnastics uh, went through the Larry Nassar scandal two years ago, Um, he was the athletic physician for the USA gymnastics team. And it has come out that he has sexually abused hundreds of women. And when I asked the president of the USA gymnastics, um, why did we allow, not that they knew about Larry Nassar, but my question was, why did we allow our head coach, Marta Caroli, to train our athletes with literally mental and, and verbal abuse. And the president looked at me and he said, because she wins. I said, at what cost? And that's when I started thinking, winning? Okay, we, we win. We win a lot of gold medals, but can we say we've been successful? And then shortly after that, the Larry Nassau scandal hit. And it was like, okay, no, we've not been successful. USA Gymnastics has won more medals than any other country in the world. But can we say we've been successful? When you've had hundreds of girls that have been sexually abused in this environment? No, <laughs> we've been an absolute literal failure from this. And um, so that started me thinking. And then I was actually in Washington, D.C. speaking with Senator Feinstein about this. She said, how do we change the culture of gymnastics? And I said, it's not about gymnastics. How do we change the culture of winning at all cost? And it starts in the home with parenting and with our children. And it starts with coaches and teachers. Anyone who is leading, teaching, mentoring a young person, it starts there. And the parents have got to start shifting the questions that they're asking their children. You know, it's like in my TED Talk, I say, oh, this is a really cute story. In my TED Talk, I talk about, as a parent, are you focused on the end result or are you focused on developing your child into a champion in life? And you'll know the difference. If you're focusing on the end result, you'll ask questions about the end result. Did you get an A? How many points did you score? If you're truly interested in helping your child develop into a champion in life, you're going to ask questions about the process. What did you learn today? How did you figure out how to work hard at those things you don't like to do? Then in my TED Talk, when I was leaving, this woman came up to me. She happened to be Asian. And she said, Miss Val, I am your your stereotypical tiger mom. I said, okay. And she said, 
when you are asking, do you tell, do you ask your, your children, did you get an A? Did you win? She goes, I was nodding my head because I was so proud of myself. Cause yes, I ask my children those questions all the time. And she says, thank you for showing me. I'm not asking the right questions. And I said, well, thank you for listening. That is so cute. Um, thank you. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. But once again, that's a shift in, in mindset, right? When you're asking those thought-provoking questions, what did you learn rather than did you win? Did you get an A? Um, that, I, I, I talk about, um, I think it's um, Marcus Bucking, uh, Buckingham that talks about strength-based leadership, how mm-hmm. when, when we walk in the door with our report, a school report, our report, our uh, parents go straight to our marks, uh, did she get an uh-huh. A? Did she get all? Did she, you know, what that, whatever that is, rather than having a look at what did she do really well at, uh-huh. rather than what did I do really bad at? Uh-huh. And so, we, if uh-huh. we focus on right. strength, this is how we catapult forward, rather than if we work on our weaknesses, it actually keeps us stuck. We might get a little bit better, but not uh-huh. not catapult forward. Uh-huh. So it uh-huh. made me think about that I when agree. you were talking yeah. about thought provoking. Well, questions. and and. The sad part about what really was the impetus for me to, why I felt so strongly about my TED Talk was I started doing my research and I have heard and read that more so than ever, our youth are reporting stress and anxiety, depression, and sadly, suicide rates are skyrocketing. And those are our, those are teenagers. Those are young kids. And that's not on them. That's on, on us adults. And so that's why I was like, we, we have to reexamine our why we as adults, as parents, as teachers, coaches, mentors have to redefine success for our youth. And we have to stay true to that. Um, and I feel like we are in an absolutely wonderful time in our history where we have so much research about the damage that the win at all cost culture does, not just to children, but to adults as well. Um, I have friends that are in politics that just, they, they literally have anxiety attacks every day being in politics. And it's like this, it's because you're in a win at all cost culture. And I feel like we're at a time in our history where it's shifting and people like you are doing your research and sharing it with the world. And it's like education, as we all know, is the only time that people really change. And there's a lot of education out there for us. There's a lot of research for us to to glean and to start shifting our definitions of success. There sure is absolutely, and I think that it's you. It's such a good point with what you speak about because it is, and I do believe we are shifting um, as a collective. Um, that's for sure. So, Miss Fell, as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, my dearest? Joy. Of course, joy. <laughs> and the last question that we love to ask our woman of inspiration is to pick three shiny golden nuggets to leave or to give to our listeners. So what would be like three practical exercises that you would like to leave for our audience today? Oh, practical exercise. Um, I would like to leave with our listeners that there's never been another you that's ever lived on planet Earth. And when you die, there's never going to be another you. And you're here for a reason. And you're unique. And I love to think of that as my internal light. And I encourage all of you 
to fuel your light, as I say in my book, whatever life is short, don't want to dance, whatever that dance is, whatever makes your heart sing, fuel that light authentically, own it unapologetically, and then most importantly, share your light. Because as we talked about before, when you share your light, you give other permission, people permission to do the same. And imagine a world where we all just woke up every morning, took a little quiet time, and started fueling our authentic, unique selves, and shared that with everyone whom we come in contact with. The, literally, the, the globe would just be glowing. Earth would be glowing with all the light. It would, it sure would. I'm just writing down so I'd remember uh, what you were saying. The other thing that came to mind too, uh, dance like nobody is ever watching. Yes. I wanted to mention that because when you were talking about um, how you had that shift that for you was like just to bring joy, play and fun into everything that you do, you did. When you were talking about dancing and having fun, I just thought that, I don't know whose um, who's quote it is, but I just thought about dance like nobody is ever watching. Exactly. And that gets back to what you were saying about your fears and your perfectionism. And it's like, how, how much more fun would, would you have if you were doing what you were doing um, with just a sense of abandonment, abandon and joy and not being focused on the outcome? Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that is, yeah. you would have made a great gymnast because a lot of gymnasts are type A personality. They are perfectionists. And sadly, we are judged on perfection, right? We're, we're judged by humans, first of all, which always has ticked me off. And we're based on the perfect 10. And then you deduct from that. It's just, it's a horrible system. And so I would always tell them, A, there's no such thing as perfect. It's perfect. So if you continue to aspire to be perfect, you will always fall short of your goals. So strive for excellence and strive for infusing joy in the process of everything you're doing, even studying for a calculus exam. Infuse joy in the process, you will have a better result and a better outcome. Mm, I love that. No, I think that is true. I have, I'm stuck in the end in mind rather than enjoying the moment in the present moment. So I love that. So thank you very much for the insight. So Miss Val, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Thank you. Um, my website, officialmissfowl.com. Um, I have been off of social media about, oh, maybe 10 months now. And I'm really enjoying it. There's a whole world out there that doesn't live on social media. It's rather interesting. Um, but I do. my website is up to date and I, I am up to date with it. Uh, weekly and wait please visit my website and if you're going to buy my book life is short don't wait to dance I would love it if you bought it off the website instead of Amazon because and then go to my swag go to my t-shirts and sweatshirts and all that it's they're fabulous fabulous items very soft wonderful material but the best part about buying the book and my swag off my website is every single dime of profit I make from that goes to a community in Texas that um, serves young teenage girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking. And so when I do something like this, I love it because there's an infusion on my website, officialmissval.com, 
um, and people just start buying. And I promise the products are really good, but most importantly, the money goes every dime. I don't take a dime of profit. It all goes to help these, these teenage girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking. Love it. And for our listeners, the color that you have as part of your, your products are beautiful. It's a beautiful color pink. <laughs> thank you. Beautiful. Miss Fell, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of wisdom. We will have the links in the show note. Uh, once again, thank you for your time, your energy and your stories. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really have appreciated it and enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you. And I've had Uh lots of Uh etheric slaps. So thank you very much. (laughs) My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. You too, You're just starting yours. Thank you. Thank you. Uh Bye-bye. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. Or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit that subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an e-book to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Catherine Plano. Until next week, please take care of yourself. Much love and gratitude. Thank you.